Hello and welcome back to Talk ADHD, episode nine. Andrew, we're rapidly approaching double figures. This is an incredible thing. So nice to see you again. You um, too. Are we ready for quite the discussion today? I think it's a big topic today. I really do. Mm. And, and we do tackle big topics, but this one I think is, is so broad, we may not get it all done in one go, but we'll certainly yeah. lay some foundations here. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great way of, of phrasing it. So, folks, as you will have seen uh, by the thumbnail, today we are talking about how to take control of your ADHD. Now, look, let's be honest. Whether you are just realising that you've probably got ADHD or whether you've just had a recent diagnosis of ADHD, Questions about what next are inevitable. Questions about what does this mean to me are inevitable. And they tend to come back for most of us to what can I do? What are the things I can do to, to be better, to do different, to not be so ADHD? So this is a topic we've been asked for from the community. And as Andrew says, it's it's a big one. And there's so much wrapped up in this. Um, just to give you listening and watching a sense of when we asked our community, what did this mean to them? A few of the things that were replied with fairly quickly were, what about RSD? What about emotional dysregulation? What about stress, cortisol levels? What about time blindness and issues with prioritization? Now, anyone listening with ADHD or seeking to understand it has probably heard of those things before or struggled with them or thought about them. And it's fair to say that at times, ADHD being as exhausting as it is, we are all looking for answers. We all want someone or something to make it better. So, how on earth? Do we do that as people? Where do we even start? Um, Andrew, I think what I'd like to ask you first before we dig into this topic is this. As somebody that had been working with people with ADHD for a number of years before you finally saw, received and accepted a diagnosis, and potentially since, are these questions you've asked yourself and do you still find yourself asking these kind of questions as well? All the time, all the time. Um, uh, and they're questions that we should ask ourselves. Um, but it's, it's an individual thing. So last week we talked about assessment and I talked about my experience of filling out questionnaires before the assessment and having had done hundreds of them for mm. other people. But writing my own was a very different experience. And I think this is... This is something that that sits in a in a similar sort of category. That that actually there there are lots of answers to the question: How do I take control of my ADHD? And and perhaps we should break down that question a little bit more before we launch into asking it. Okay. Now I think for anyone, <clears throat> excuse me, anyone listening, just the way you phrase that, that's an interesting take straight away. 
So what do you mean by that? Try can you give a bit more uh, sort of clarity, Dr. Cable? What do you mean by that question? What what is it you're asking of others in asking that? So th th this was my thinking process in in, in sort of tackling this topic and lots of topics. What is the question actually asking? Mm. Um, and by breaking that down, rather than rushing to finding the answer, we're really good, aren't we, at, at sort of finding solutions? Yeah, and, and that is, a, can be anyway, a strength of ADHD. Oh, yeah, we just do that. Mm. We're good in a crisis because we can think quickly and, and, and resolve things. However, that's not always the best way to approach a challenge. <laughs> Um, right. Because you make a crisis response. Um, so this question, how do I take control of my ADHD, was how I, I asked it the second time I asked that question. Mm -hmm. um, I started with answering the question of what is ADHD. Yeah. Um, and, and that made the, the, the question already a lot more complex. Because ADHD, those four letters, defines what sits behind what the last episode was about. Those four letters describe the information that comes out of an assessment. Mm. That, that's what they're for. We make a diagnosis, and this is true across medicine, you make a diagnosis in order that you can narrow down the options for treatment. Yeah? Right. But in doing this, and I talk a lot about medical reductionism, you exclude things. You exclude individuality to look for those com for the, to look for those commonalities. So a diagnosis is is a shortcut descriptor of of what's going on. Right. So I had to think about that when I was thinking about this question. The idea of my. ADHD then moves it into a, a very personal answer and I thought well how are we going to cover that because I'm different to you there is no mm -hmm. way on God's green earth I am going to immerse myself in cold water I don't even like a cold shower but it, I know it works for you and I respect that you plunge yourself in that cold water <laughs> and, and all the stuff we've talked about doing that before, but it's not going to happen. Um, I think it's a running theme in, in the podcast that, that, that that's something that you do, but it's definitely yeah. something that I don't do. Yeah. So yeah. I'll stop asking you then. Um, <laughs> um, so, so it was about then thinking about what is my ADHD? And I mm -hmm. think that's something that we'll need to cover in in some depth in our conversation today and then this idea of how do i take control and all the questions that that throws up about is it something that i want to take control of or the elements of it that i want to take control of um so taking control is 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 another feature of of the conversation today that's going to be really important because yeah what that means and what that what the end point is influences how you do it it really does um yeah uh, and, and it's interesting see when i started to think about this question i went through a similar process so we can look at this headline that we've generated and how do you take control and again i i started with an overview well what what do people think adhd is what do people 
think of when they hear those four letters ADHD. And then through working with people in mentoring and, and, and the work I do with sort of corporate clients, I started to think, well, okay, so how does that affect someone when they've just realized that ADHD fits for them or they've just had that diagnosis and yet they've got through, as we've said previously, 45, 47, 48 years of our lives being one way to suddenly be told, ah, oh, but you see, these four magic letters meant X, Y, Z, you know, A, B, C, D. And you think, oh, did they though? So what I then started to think was, okay, what are we told ADHD means? And is it those things that most people zone in on first? Do we see, for example, RSD mentioned? all the time and think oh well that fits me because because i'm gonna i i hear that a lot i'm gonna think about that a lot and all oh, that fits me and and then do we get too narrow in our focus and if i think back to my own post assessment sort of the first few months i was very confident at that point way too confident that I knew what ADHD meant to me and I would tell anyone that would listen, right? At that point, I thought I knew everything. You know, if you'd have given me the way to do it, I'd probably have written the book. But now I realize I knew nothing. I knew what I knew then, but what I knew was what I'd seen, what I'd heard, what I'd absorbed from other people. And I hadn't at that point taken enough time to think about me what it meant to me not what it meant to everyone else and so this topic you're right is not for me about taking control of the thing adhd it's about what does control for me mean what does coping a bit better mean for me and all of those things that are community mentioned yes Yes, they're all involved, but not all the time, not all at once, not every day. And therefore, it's about understanding, is there a process that I can go through that helps me decide what I should be looking at? So we've, we've got a massive topic here. And I think there's, there's a couple of ways we could approach this, right? We could go the very research-based, clinical-based route. And there is research that I'll, I'll, I'll reference and I'll link to some things that I found once, once I've shared them with you. And you, you've got your research and knowledge as well. So we can go that route. The studies tell us, the brain scans show us. But there is also this combination of all of the lived experience, not just of our own, but of all the people we've worked with, that tells us some of the common themes and also shows us how different and unique we all are, even though we've all got the same diagnosis. So shall we start with something that I think is going to come up throughout this, which is anxiety? Because you've mentioned in the past, I was listening to one of our previous episodes only last night, and you said, you know, about anxiety is essentially, you know, presenting almost like an anxiety disorder because anxiety is so often at the root of our ADHD presentation, okay? So if we start with anxiety, my interpretation 
of everything that we've been asked to cover and everything that I look at online when I say, what do people talk about with ADHD? Almost all of it somewhere has a component of, are we managing our own levels of anxiety and do we know how to? And if we're not, is that actually making things worse? What do you think about that as a starting point? It's a really strong starting point, but very clinical, actually. So you, when, when you were just saying that, you, you described almost two poles. We can either take this very focused research-based approach, or we can take, and, and very scientific, or we can take this personal experience, personalized experience approach. Um, I'd certainly prefer to take the personalized experience approach and then put the science in that explains where where that happens um so anxiety yes it, it is as, as a clinical diagnosis occurs more often than it doesn't in adults with adhd and is it any wonder that that's the case anxiety is a manifestation of the emotion of fear mm -hmm. if you spend your time your life being criticized and and having lots of negative emotions shame guilt you are going to manifest fear because you mm -hmm. fear more of those unpleasant emotions i won't call them negative because those unpleasant emotions are also drivers just as much as the the drivers of joy and happiness you know we, we want to move towards states of happiness we want to move away from states of fear yeah and our whole biology is built around that. The, the right. whole propagation of the species is built around that. So, so we have a, a, an endocrine system, a system of hormones that help us navigate that. So we have a biological response to these cognitive states, these states of mind. There, there is an underlying biology to that. And with ADHD, we're more prone to having these unpleasant emotional states because we have unpleasant experiences on account of a minority difference in the way we process information mm. i like the way you phrase that right okay so if that's the case then and it is i mean there's no doubt about that is there the way just the way you say that's why i went quiet because every time you say something like that i go back through childhood to now in sort of rapid succession and go oh, yes oh. Hmm. All, all of those things of, you know, not fitting in, etc. You know, it does. But if we are existing in that state more often than we're not, potentially, does that maybe lead us then to one of the first things we were asked about, which was this relationship with, with what's referred to as the stress hormone or cortisol and the effect that our cortisol has on everything adhd or not really but particularly with adhd so if we're anxious constantly is there a direct correlation then in your human experience and from the people you've supported that heightened anxiety pervasive anxiety will have a knock-on effect on on cortisol levels yeah yeah so cortisol is secreted alongside adrenaline it, it sits in balance with, with adrenaline. So if you're secreting more adrenaline, of course, you, you're secreting more cortisol. Right. Um, okay. So, so, yeah, cortisol's there more. There's more inflammation as well. So, now for me, 
whenever I hear people talk about stress, cortisol, I'm going to sort of lump them together. I know it's not strictly speaking correct, but just for clarity, whenever I hear people talk about their cortisol levels in relation to their ADHD, it's a very, um, very linear sort of thing of, I want to reduce my cortisol. But it always appears to me that that's based on a, so what can I start doing to achieve that? Now, where's your thought process in that? Is that, does that make sense to you? What can we start doing? And again, it's those two positions. So, so yes, there are practical things that we can do to have an impact on the impact of cortisol. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but there is also this idea that it's, yeah, it's so much more complex than I just want to boost my level of cortisol just as much as it's so much more complex than if I increase my prefrontal cortical levels of dopamine, I can concentrate and ADHD just goes away. That yeah. is the reductionist view. So. So actually, yes, there are things that we can do, and, and there, there is a key message from this podcast that, that, that I would like to give. I'm not sure we're ready for it yet in the conversation, that, that talks about something that you can practically do with that on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis, and it will lay the foundation for everything else that you're trying to do. No, I but, agree. But, uh but to reduce your experience of ADHD down to just that. Oh, if I can dial down my cortisone and up my um, cortisol and up my dopamine levels that somehow everything's going to be fine. You, you're chasing the wrong goal. Definitely. Do you think we're led down that route of chasing in that way, chasing the upping the dopamine, reducing the cortisol, etc. because, because it may, are we a quick fix society? Are we a quick fix? Yeah. Yeah. Culture, you know, is, we, is, is that what it comes from? Yeah. Um, you mentioned RSD already. Mm. Um, what, what a lovely way of, of boiling down such a, a horrible series of experiences that are very personal into something that we can call is, is a disorder. Imposter syndrome is another one. We sort of give these yeah. labels as shortcuts to things that are made up of many, many layers of experience across a lifetime. Um, and we just say, oh, what can I do about my RSD? What can I do when I face imposter syndrome? Mm. It's all only ever going to be a shortcut by approaching it that way. Yes. So, so, so we let you, we've talked about the ideas of hacks and tips before mm. uh, and how, how problematic they can be. It's because they're addressing the headline they're not addressing our own personal experience which un which underpins why we think rsd applies why we think imposter syndrome applies why we think emotional dysregulation is is a good description of of the state that we live in um actually moving away from that that very rigid functional scientific approach to the more phenomenological there's a big word for you approach to the, the human experience and and how we as as a person each one individually engage with the world is is a very different philosophical standpoint to take um okay. and yes the reductionist approach has value in that it, it does allow communication of short-term 
tips, hacks, whatever. But I'm not sure it gets to the root of the experience of being a person who lives with ADHD. And I think we're back to this conversation piece again, aren't we already? And we will keep coming back to it with that sentence you just said. Okay. We have to start from the point of thinking about the person with ADHD. I am Matt with ADHD. I am not ADHD with added Matt, although there are those who may disagree, having known me for some time. But I know that the reality is this person, this way I present, this everything is, yes, shaped, affected, if you like, by ADHD and all that may mean, but at the heart of it is me. And you were right at the start of this podcast, you said this, and it's something I echo all the time. My ADHD versus yours versus my wife versus yours versus your kids versus my kids. Completely and totally different experiences of the same four letters. Yep. And therefore, there is a an inherent danger for me, I think, when we start looking at this, of looking for those shortcuts, of looking for those... You know, oh, look, I've got this. This is it. There's the there's the A to Z of there's the, the one to 10 of. Right. If I if I do these things, that's it. My ADHD be gone. It won't because it was put together by compiled by thought up by someone. And whether they were deliberately doing it or not, the filter that they had on it is their version of ADHD, their experience of ADHD and that's not to to say that as a negative creating anything is difficult but I think you know psychologically it's something that's very hard to avoid right you're going to shape what you say I do it all the time based on my version and I have to catch myself so looking for those hacks tips whatever you know as we've said can present problems. I think the one thing, again, we will come back to and have to is that doesn't mean these things don't work, can't work, but it it means you've got to know what works means for you. What are you trying to do here? Right? Now, we've mentioned a couple of really big things already. RSD, imposter syndrome, anxiety, stress, cortisol levels. And and actually, to go back to your example of the fact that what I did this morning to make sure that I was sharp and calm and ready for this podcast was I went outside and had a cold shower in eight and a half degree water, which was quite warm, by the way, just saying. I did that, but you're not going to do that. You might do something completely different if you want to prepare, if you want to feel calm. That doesn't mean your way or my way is inherently right or not right. It means it's my way or your way. And I know it works for me and you know it works for you. Kind of there the the line needs to be drawn, really. Yeah. And so I think as we go forward in this conversation, my message will be this may be a protracted sort of experience of trying things, of experimenting. I often use the phrase, I've been my own human guinea pig for my whole life. 
right? Me being my own human guinea pig has taught me one thing and one thing only. And that's what works for me. Now, I can understand why it works for me and I can explain it to other people and say it might work for you. But I don't know that it will. I cannot categorically sit here and say, if you do that, it will help. I don't know. But I think that's the point, isn't it? We're all looking for similar answers, but sometimes we've got to remember that we've got to start with the test subject being us. Yeah, not we're what everyone else. For similar answers, but to different questions in different contexts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is where this might get slightly more complex, and I'm trying to think of how we answer this with this human model and then layer the science onto it, so forgive me. Would it be fair for you if I said that a very common thing that those of us with ADHD will struggle with, and we can look at the science why, is, is broadly described as our executive function? challenges with executive function, the, the day-to-day, the doing, the, you know, and we can wrap all sorts up into that. We can wrap issues with time blindness up into it, with task completion, with prioritization, with, you know, there's so much that we can wrap up into this executive function. But is that something that you feel is a good starting point because it, it has so much inside it for people to understand? actually what it means before we start to figure out what to do about it it has lots inside of it and it's very much the the domain of the the nine inattentive symptoms of adhd i think before we go there we should go back to what we were talking about in terms of fear anxiety cortisol and that phrase of emotional dysregulation because i think and this is coming only from my own personal experience, my clinical experience. There's there's no no sort of huge body of evidence on on this particular point. There's lots of literature that that talks around it, but emotional dysregulation is a is a feature of ADHD. It's not in the diagnostic criteria, but yeah. I don't think anybody living with ADHD would say, "Yep, I've got my." My emotional responses are level and and exactly where (laughs) I'd like them to be. Um, And I think that um, is is potentially the the core that we can then build these sort of more practical solutions upon. Um, So first bits of advice understanding that that happens and understanding that your experience of an intense emotion whatever is triggering it is a feature of your adhd because invariably it is allows you to take a step back um and i I, this this comes from the um the the um the review of 2023 as well and that that idea of putting a, an email reply in the drafts folder taking a step back and allowing the emotion to settle down again that's a very psychological way of seeing it but it also has this biological sense of allowing those levels of stress hormones to settle down again is a skill right. 
it's not something I think you should see as adding. It's something that you should see as taking away. I am not going to do anything right now other than B is sometimes the right thing to do. Sometimes the right thing to do is nothing. Because if you do something, you'll get it wrong. And we, we spend our lives, as people with ADHD, trying to compensate for the things we've not done. Um, so there's a lot of time spent thinking, oh, I should do this, I should do that. And feeling guilty when you take a step back and say, I'm not actually going to do anything now. Because it's not possible for us to do nothing. And what we're doing when we take that step back and not actively doing anything is giving ourselves some processing time. And I think mm. if there's one message that people can take away from what from our conversation today, it isn't going to be a recommendation for an app or a psychological strategy. It's going to be this. Be kind to yourself and allow yourself to take a step back and do nothing. Yeah. That's not actually doing nothing. You are allowing yourself some processing time. Um, and I, I think, and, and having talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people with ADHD, that is p potentially the biggest piece of, of helpful advice I've, I've given most broadly across the, the people I've worked with is just go easy on yourself, allow yourself some time to process that, allow those feelings to settle down, allow the biology to settle back down again. Yes, there are strategies that you can use to to build skill with that. So mindfulness, meditation um, can be helpful, but essentially you don't need to become a, a guru sitting on a lotus leaf. You just need to be able to give yourself permission to not do. And by not doing, you will create a more calm response when you go back to doing. So in your experience then as a clinician, through all of these thousands of people you've seen, and by the way, I completely agree on this, but I'm interested on, in your answer now. Why do you think those of us with ADHD are so terrified by that piece of advice of doing nothing, <laughs> even though we know it's, it's doing something? because it's hard and because we've been told if we could just try a little bit harder and do a little bit more, we could succeed. So there's a paradox uh, and we mm. live with paradox every day um, uh, and carry echoes of hundreds of voices across our lifetime saying, if you could just, oh, why can't you just do, do? What about being? What about being kind to myself? What about accepting that sometimes I need to stop? Now, to take that a little step further, I was, I was looking before this podcast that some of the it's sort of the most globally recommended fundamentals, if you do these well, if you can get these working well, you stand to have a better chance, right? And the fundamentals, there are three of them. That, that keep coming up in terms of this being kind to yourself, taking some time for yourself. And the three things were sleep, hydration, and exercise, whatever that may mean to you. Now, I cannot tell you the amount of clients I've worked with and the amount of conversations I have with people where the topic of sleep is raised. I can't get to sleep. I wake up every night. I wake up tired. And, and the research that I've seen 
pertinent to ADHD sort of echoes what I think, but I don't want to go there particularly yet. What I think is important is to say, if we are knackered every day, that day is going to be difficult. doesn't matter who you are, whether you've got ADHD or not, if you are tired before you get out of bed, your ability to do anything is hard. So sleep is a big issue. Hydration is another one. We're all told to drink more water, drink more fluid, okay? And, and yet, you know, so many of us find it so difficult to remind ourselves to go and fill up a glass. And I, I think it's fascinating that it is a fundamental if we're hydrated. Just, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but neurobiologically, if we're hydrated, our brain works better. If there's enough hydration, our brain is, is more able to function with the correct hydration than not. That's why dehydration is an issue. And yet we struggle to remember because of everything else. And then exercise, and I use the phrase, whatever exercise means to you, because I think it's important. If I surveyed 100 people in the street and said, what does exercise mean? I would imagine most of them would think it meant some kind of high intensity, weights, gym, cardio, running. And yet, exercise can just be walking around the house once or twice. It could be gardening. It could be walking the dog, choosing to walk to the shops. You know, I had to go and pick up a prescription from the chemist yesterday. I chose to walk instead of getting in the car, which I would normally do. That's it. I've exercised. It took me half an hour. I class that as exercise. But it's our perceptions of exercise that then mean very often, oh, well, that's not real exercise, so I won't do anything, which is crackers because then we're doing nothing to help ourselves, just getting fresh air. But those three fundamentals, right, I think are so basic. And yet, I believe they get affected because of exactly what you just said, because we are piling pressure on ourselves to do so much more that the basics just get chucked out the window. Yeah, and we, and we live in a world that throws us the next best solution, this solution, that's it. No one's going to tell you a glass of water is going to do you good. They're going to tell yeah. you this, this product, which is 99% water, is going to be the thing that sorts it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and often it is those core basics that actually deal with these very fundamental organic things like yeah. sleep, hydration, exercise, diet. Um, the, the, you know, that, that, that is driven by a lot more biology than the 1% of that drink that I just told you that actually mm. might edge water, edge over water in performance just a little bit. Mm. But there's no profit in saying fill a glass with water. It's fill a glass with our latest wonder product and people yeah. are, are looking for the latest wonder product the next app that is going to just sort everything out um and missing these glaringly obvious emissions like being able to to go outside yeah. um you know and 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 be out in the world whether that's walking the dog or you know movement is important Social yeah. contact has value, um, but they, those don't grab headlines. Um, 
it, it's almost assumed that oh everybody knows that this is about that fine tuning getting that last one percent but no I, I i think we're we're over overplaying potentially improving that one percent at the cost of the 99 percent fundamentals that we really can do quite cheaply and without a great deal of of either financial or personal expense because mm. that time that you spent walking to the chemists the other day you weren't doing anything else well i suppose you might have been listening to a, a fantastic mm. podcast like this or something <laughs> along those lines you know but, yeah, yeah. but but you weren't you might have been thinking things through you know, mm-hmm. there's more to going to the chemist than just that that physical exercise. Oh, yeah. it, it it was a a focusing of your your time and your attention. And yes, there was yeah. a goal. What you got, whatever you needed from the chemist, and came home. Mm-hmm. You got some exercise. You had some headspace. I love yeah. going for a walk because it does just give you that headspace. You can't be doing anything else. No, no, absolutely not. It's um the question that just occurs to me though is how often do you think chasing the 1% that we were just talking about actually causes more of that underlying anxiety for us. Because we feel like that's, that's the panacea. That's, that's it, isn't it? That's yep. the golden ticket. And then, and then when it doesn't work, totally deflated and, oh, I've wasted another however many pounds on the next big thing that wasn't the next big thing. Yeah. It feeds into that, well, I'm never going to break this cycle. I'm never going to get control of this, take control of this. So stop doing, start stopping then is, is a fairly good summary of, of, I suppose, of that, isn't it? It's, it's not about doing more. Sometimes it's about feeling comfortable doing less, if not nothing, quote, unquote. That um, creates the room for the for the personalised solution that we're talking about. The answer yes. isn't going to be in an internet-based advert or or flashed on TV between Ant and Dex's latest show. That's not no. where you're going to find the answer. The answer is going to be found when you walk into the chemist's because you're having some exercise and you just have that moment where you think, oh, of course, why did I not realise this? Yeah. If you're constantly doing, you don't make room for you, the brilliance of your brain to solve this problem. You're looking for someone to give you something, and actually you've probably already got it. You know yeah. what the question is, but you're not asking it. You're, you're looking to someone else to, to give you the answer to someone else's question. Yeah, no, absolutely you are. It's fascinating, actually. I was just, I was just thinking back. So, you know, during COVID, when I was still entertaining, still teaching people, juggling for the most part, I ended up, for the most of COVID, teaching just under 10,000 people what I was referring to as active mindfulness. And I was teaching it them based on my understanding of why it worked for me as someone with ADHD, right? And it goes back to what you were saying. I am never going to be that, that uber zen, sat on a lotus leaf, you know, transcendent. That is, I, I am the furthest from transcendental. I think that it's possible to be. But what I learned, because I taught 80,000 people to juggle and then had to think of other things was, oh, actually, wait a minute. Sometimes it is just doing something that prevents me from 
thinking something else that creates the space. So I was teaching major corporate brands all around the world to either play silly games with a couple of pairs of rolled up socks or little coordination tricks. Because in those moments where all those people in front of me on thousands of screens were concentrating on was what they were trying to do, they were not thinking about the next meeting, the deadline, the email, the whatever it was. And I, I am convinced, and you've just confirmed it really, that that's because I was giving them permission to stop. Just to stop, not sit still, not be perfectly, you know, serene, but to stop in a way that meant that nothing else was going on, like me going for a walk, right? And yes, you're right, for us ADHDers, Stopping because of all the pressure of what's gone before, all the what we haven't done. Stopping feels wrong for most of us. We shouldn't stop. In fact, we should do more and we should be able to do more. And when we can't do more, are we a failure? Well, no, actually, stopping is probably the kindest thing we can do. And actually, folks, I'm going to ask everyone listening or watching a question here, right? I know the topic of maskings come up thousands of times before. And my question is this, forget the masking, however you define it. But when you get home after a day of peopling, after a day of doing, how often do you need to just not do anything? How often do you need, whether it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour or an hour, how long do you need to decompress and how often? Do we, do you allow yourself to do that? Because it's that decompression that Andrew's talking about and that I'm talking about, that space to process everything that's gone on, to let it all filter into the compartments in your brain it needs to be, and then to know what to do next. How many of you actually do that without realizing it? And if you do it without realizing it, would it not make sense to be a bit more conscious of deliberately doing it. And Andrew, I'll go back to that question then about cortisol. In your opinion, what's more likely to have a beneficial effect on reducing cortisol? Chasing the next wonder whatever, app, supplement, coach, therapist, or maybe starting with stopping and just letting yourself catch up? Which is going to be less likely to create a stress hormone yeah is it going to be chasing or is it going to be stopping of course chasing is more stressful stopping is 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 an important part chasing is important as well yeah, it's, yeah. You, you talked about that decompression time absolutely essential and i imagine lots of people as you were saying that were thinking but how do i get started again hmm and it's about deciding how long that's going to be, working yeah. out how long it takes you to decompress and being honest with yourself that, okay, you've, you've had your half an hour's decompression now and now you're scrolling through TikTok or whatever it is and mm -hmm. actually that is counterproductive and you've moved from that useful stopping time to unproductive distraction. 
but that doesn't mean that all distraction and all stopping is unproductive. So it, it's about learning to add in this new nothing and, and give it a place that has limits, but the, give it that place. Yes. Yeah. What a fantastic phrase. Give it that place. So if we can then going back to your original point, if we can start to, to pay more attention to our anxiety, to pay more attention to our responses to things, pay more attention to the critical voice of ourself that we have and, and, and try to do something about it. Is that then for you the, the, the fundamental of if, if we can reduce that fear, as we said at the start, it's easier to then start looking at the other questions we may have and looking at these other things that perhaps have been mentioned. Because, look, we're going back to this question, how do I take control of my ADHD? Well, you've said this to me, and I think you're right. No one's going to give you that ability. No one can know you that well that, that they can do it for you. you. This is about you participating in that process. It is your ADHD that you are trying to take control of. How you choose to do that, what that involves, is different for everyone, but it's yours to do with. And and I suppose this is where the conversation then expands. Is yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, that that's the next step. But I I think people who've who've come to this podcast expecting us to say, oh, you should get this app or that app or whatever, have missed out that fundamental step of just taking a step back and going, okay, what is this? What am I trying to address? Um, so that's why I've pushed so much this idea of, of stopping first because then you've got the room to start thinking about the things that you've just mentioned okay what do i now bring in to the space yeah. that i've created because the, the stress will look very different once you've had that space oh well yeah it does without question and and listen i i, I want to share if i can at this point this is a genuinely real example of this. You know, Andrew and I sit here every week talking about this and Andrew's the clinical professional and, and he's got that experience and I mentor other people. I'm, I'm one of those approaches that people choose and I'm grateful for that. I just want you to, to hear this example so you know that I still get this and it bites me on the bum, right? Over the past few days, there's been a lot going on. My youngest son's turned 18. It's been a special and a wonderful time. Tomorrow, we fly away for a couple of days on a, on a trip, and oldest son's at home looking after the house, and that's great. But my stress levels have gone through the roof because what I haven't done is managed myself very well. Now, it's interesting, Andrew, you talk about the cold water, right? For th Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three days, I've done no cold water. Even though I know I need to do it every day, even though it's part of my daily medicine, I've done no cold water. I let my stress grow. I'm frustrated with everything around me to the point that yesterday, 
And my wife, if she was sat here now, would echo this. I was bloody horrible to be around. I was. I was just in a foul mood all day, couldn't explain why. And it was because I had let me, I had let this get on top of my thoughts, not managing myself. Now, this morning, I woke up early, I've come downstairs, and because I knew that yesterday one of the biggest issues I had was I was doom scrolling. You mentioned TikTok, right? when it becomes unhelpful. Because I spent the morning doing that, I thought that made me angry. That made it worse. Today, yeah, I have downloaded a new app. I've downloaded an app that I saw advertised and out of curiosity, I thought if I could just stop my phone being a distraction, then perhaps I'd have a chance. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be able to show anyone this on screen, but this is my my all singing, all dancing Samsung Galaxy phone. And, and it looks like um, that now. It is a black screen. And when I turn it on, that's all it has. It has date, time and a fingerprint sensor. If I open it, all that my phone has is a list of apps. Not colourful icons, not buttons, just a list of the apps. Right Now, this is a, a, an app that I think is pretty good for me. It makes my phone basically very boring. It's now just a functional device. I choose what I want to use. And if I open a social media app, first of all, it takes 20 seconds to load. And it asks me five times, are you sure? Are you sure? And when I eventually say yes, it then says, right, how long do you want to use it for? One minute, five minutes, 10 minutes. For me, that's vital because I can pick a time and at the end of that time, it says time's up and the app will close. Sure, I could choose to open it again, but actually, you know what? At the moment, I see the benefit of that. I've done that because I took that sign yesterday that me allowing my stress to go through the roof was silly for me, but it was me that did it. Nobody else caused my stress. Nobody else made me sit in that place. I did. And I've had to step back and think, right, what parts of my ADHD got in the way? What parts of this me got in the way? And what can I do about it? Truth is, am I likely to keep using that app for longer than a week? Fortnite? Well, history would say with me, probably not. But if it gets me through the next 48 hours and lets me reset, I will take that as a win. I will take that as a positive. If it just stops me, that's that decompression from overwhelm that I needed. And so whilst, like Andrew said, people may have come to this expecting us to recommend lots of things, we can't recommend anything for everyone. Does that work for me? Well, it did this morning. Will it work tomorrow? Don't know. I'll try and remember to let you know when I record the next podcast, if it's still even on my phone. The point is, it's experimentation based on you. This is you with ADHD. Remember that again. And it's you understanding what is it you're trying to do about your ADHD that will guide what comes next. So forgive me getting personal there, but I think it's important. You know, I, this is my my job, like Andrews. <laughs> it's, it's it's really important what you've just said there, Matt. And I I don't know whether you've spotted the 
potential mistake you've made there. Um, Because what you've said about that app, yeah, you're right. Um, Mm. It might be the solution you were looking for. The likelihood is it's not, and it will frustrate Mm. the hell out of you. Um, so I so I use um, there's a, there's a feature on the iPhone where it'll just shut off and and yeah. you can't do certain things that you know I, I make sure that my phone goes off at midnight unless it's certain people trying to call me and it mm-hmm. doesn't come on again till seven and if I pick it up it says hang on a minute do you really want to open the phone annoys the hell out of me yeah um, yeah yeah I haven't yet switched it off but it annoys the hell out of me but what what stood out in your your description of how that app found its way into your life was you started by saying that you hadn't used cold water for three days. Oh, oh absolutely, so you, yeah. Yeah, so you'd neglected something that you know works for you, got frustrated, wound up, whatever that emotional state was, mm-hmm. and looked for something new. And something new and shiny is, is what we're likely to go for. Oh, every time. Don't. And, and this is more for other people's benefit than yours, but don't underestimate the the things that you haven't done that you know work. Um, in, yeah, in absolutely. That seeking, seeking that sort of fast novel fix mm. um, because we don't know, we'll never know whether sort of cold water for, for however long you do it for in those three days would have led you to not be in the state that you were in when you downloaded that app. Mm-hmm. But you may find next week you're saying to me, "Hey, Andrew, that app's brilliant. It's just it's got enough detail for me that mm-hmm. I can I can put the controls that I want in my life." So yeah, it's it's never a straightforward answer. But no, it's this not. Is, and this actually... is what having the room to take a step back does that you can think, "Oh, hang on a minute, I I didn't do my cold water. I, yeah. I've got this app." Um, and, and weighing up those advantages and disadvantages. Lovely to hear you saying, well, it might only do for a couple of days to get me through. Yeah. What an insightful thing to say. It might not be the next big thing. It might not be the revelation, no. but if it works for a couple of days, great. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, we, we the irony is, do you want the irony of that to pick up on what you said? Once I downloaded the app and I calmed down because the phone wasn't winding me up, I was able to go and have a cold shower. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, I had to be calm in order to tell myself that I do want to stand outside in the cold shower, and then come in going, "Thank God I did that," and I feel so much better. And it's again, you're right. I'm fortunate, right? I I, I talk about this every day. I have a very privileged position, and 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 I'm aware of it that I get to talk to you on an almost daily basis, and and and, and pick your brains and learn from you, and I. I'm very grateful for that, but it's also something I've been researching in my own way for over a decade, and yet I still get things back to front, right? The one thing I try not to say to myself now, though, and I'll have to review the recording of this at the end and see where I did is, I try not to say I should have. Hmm. That word. It's I should. It's a harmful word. Oh, it... it you, you, you know, you know my oldest son's story, and he literally has said that word all his life. Should have, should have, should have, should have, should have. And if I ask him, said who? He can't really tell me. He just felt it. It's that weight of expectation. Nineteen years old, and my wife and I have never, never tried to be those parents. 
and yet he feels it. I feel it. We all feel it. And I think it's that weight of expectation and what should we have done that leads us down the the chasing of the new and shiny. Because maybe there's a thing that we go, if it's new and shiny, then it will work. Like my app, maybe, or not. And it might. Well, it might. It might. Um, okay. Let's, let's take this a step further. There is a topic I want to talk about, uh, and this could be an interesting one in amongst all this. Time blindness, issues with time, issues with perception of time, and all that that means raised time and time again. Now, I was looking, funnily enough, at apps recently, and I was looking at all the supplements that are currently on the market that I could find that have the words ADHD in them, okay? They mention focus, they mention concentration, they mention sort of sharpness, mental acuity, but time blindness, never mentioned, will help you, never mentioned. And I find that quite fascinating because for my money, when everything else is functioning better my emotional state's better like sensitive dysphoria is not peaking actually i tend to function better in terms of time i tend to be able to process and that's the word i use process the passage of time better but when everything else is topsy-turvy time goes out the window and what's fascinating to me is it only dawned on me last year that's why I've not worn a watch regularly in over 20 years. Because if I'm honest, wearing a watch causes me massive anxiety. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. That reminder on my wrist. <laughs> it's only this morning I told you that I, I don't like clocks. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. It's that it, it's, it should on your wrist or on a dial in your room. Shouting out, should, 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 isn't it? Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, it is. You should get up. You should get to work. You should. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. But so, okay, time is an issue. Um, let's go human first. Let's go ex sort of experiential first, and then maybe I think this is important one for definitely. There's some science attached to this that, that I understand. You must see this, I presume, all the time in clinic. This, this is, you know, I know it's in the criteria, it must come up, but what are the common things that people are saying to you about time? And, and how often do you sit there thinking, I know you think this is only you, but this is really quite regular? So it's, it's not a thing of itself, I don't think, time blindness. Um mm -hmm. The time blindness comes from the distraction, the interest in something other than what you had decided you were going to do. So the the novelty of the some the something that has your interest, you know, sat on the toilet when you should be in the morning when you should be getting dressed and going to school. You know, this that's a, a, an example I I draw from clinic last week. It's more interesting to be scrolling through TikTok for the young lady that I'm thinking of. Um, yeah. So, so is that time blindness or is that 
a difference in intention, a, a conflict of, of attention. The, the thing that is more novel, more interesting, is taking my attention. And the thing that I had previously decided was important, getting ready for school and going to school, has been knocked down the hierarchy of, of my intentions. Is that Just about like reward now. as well? Is that is that about perceptions? It's of about reward. Reward. It, it, it's about that you know that living in the now. It it doesn't matter what happens later. It doesn't matter what's happened before. Right now, I'm doing this, and it is rewarding for me. Um, and in those moments when we are allowing ourselves to live in the now and letting something that probably shouldn't ought to take priority. In your experience, is that why lots of people find it incredibly jarring or even sort of painful? It creates anger responses when we are reminded. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because that, that reminding me is the should crashing back into your life, isn't it? It's the mm. alarm going off and, oh, no, and the, the memories of, of being late before. And, you know, it's... It, it's it's that tension between now and what I'm doing now so that I can have an easier time later on. And does it extend for you into um, our ability to plan things and, and to, to use time or the passage of time before it's happened as, as a way to plan an event? And again, I'm thinking of somebody I was talking to, a client recently, who was saying um, they have a friend who had a baby a fortnight ago, knew the friend had a baby and, and you know, said, I've got to get them a present and then I'll organise to go see them in a couple of weeks. Right? That's a fortnight ago. And yesterday, wakes up in the morning, realising, knowing that, oh, crap, I've not bought a present and I've said I'm going to go and see them at 10 o'clock, but has to take her partner and drop him at his football coaching at just before 10 o'clock. And yet, they actually said to me, and it was this interesting conversation of frustration, was even though she knew there wasn't a present, even though she was worried about it, she chose until they were halfway between home and the football to say to her partner, I just need to stop off at the shop to get a present because I forgot to get one. And then we'll get going to which the partner was like, what now? But I, I have to be here on time. I've got this responsibility. And why didn't you tell me this this morning? Because we could have left earlier. And so his perceptions of time were. Really? You choose now to tell me this and hers were. Uh, well, I didn't want to face the consequences. I think what we came to of. If I tell you this before that. I don't want to face the consequences, but now we've got no choice but to face the consequences. And did it end up in an argument? Of course it did. But is that the passage of time and processing that made that more likely, do you think? Or is it the prioritisation of that task? Right. Why, why was the priority to get that done before dropping the partner at the football? Yeah. Could he not have been dropped at the football and then go and get the present? Um, so it, the the stress and the pressure was was building and building and and getting in the way of that problem solving 
you know, it's getting back to that right at the start of, of this podcast. We talked about breaking down that question. And the, the driver that was incompatible with that situation was, I have to take a present. Yeah. At, at 10 o'clock. Okay. Yeah. You've, in the situation, in the car, on the way to football, you face a choice. You can stop on the way to football. You can go and get a present after you've dropped at football and be a little yeah. bit late or, you know, half an hour late. If it's a friend of someone with ADHD, then they'll be shocked if you're there on time. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. Have a present with you. So it's about that problem solving in the moment. But when it's driven by stress and pressure and shoulds, and yeah. the adrenaline's running, and you're, you're you're not thinking clearly, that's when you're going to make these mistakes in the now. Right. Which is why advocating on taking a step back and say, right, this this is a sign that I need to stop. Just mm -hmm. like your sign this morning that led to you getting that app that makes yeah. your phone boring. You yeah. saw yeah. a tr you saw a sign that things weren't going the way you want them to be. And, and I rather take than control. well, well, you tried to take control, and and maybe you have, maybe you've just bought yourself a bit of time, but you, but you came up with a solution. Um, and it's looking at the question of what, what do I face here now and what can I do next? Because I can't do it all. I have to face that I didn't do X, Y, and Z when mm. I might mm. have done it. Um, and that is going to impact on my now and that's going to impact on my future. And I can choose now how I manage that. It's right. seductive for us to to try and get that the stress of a crisis to, to motivate us. But actually, that's a very short-term solution. Yeah. And yeah, it's, not... it's good. In, it's, you know, we are good in crises because we can go back, man, we're going to do this. I'm going to stop at the garage on the way to drop you off a of football because that'll sort mm -hmm. it out. And it would sort it out, but it's going to have consequences. Um, yeah. So by, by slowing down that thinking process, by slowing things down, you make better, more rational choices than those impulse decisions. I've got to stop and get something. And you probably take a better present for the baby. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you got there at half ten, your friend says, oh, I thought you were coming at ten. We've, we've got to go out at eleven, but it's lovely to yeah. see you. And, wow, what a lovely present. Thanks for bringing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always going to be consequences when you make a decision in the now mm. about something that you had decided to do earlier but not yeah. not actually done. But But the... The, the temptation to solve it in crisis isn't always the right way. Sometimes it is, and it's yeah. difficult to, to, to decide when to take a step back and when to say, right, I'm going to sort this now. Yeah, it's interesting. That... Yeah, it, it's complicated by ADHD, but that is a human thing. That's, that's something that everybody faces. So I mean, it, to say that is ADHD is, yes, it's, it's difficult. It, it's, it is made more problematic as a result of executive dysfunction, of this emotional dysregulation in the moment. But actually, mm -hmm. these, are, these are challenges and decisions that everybody faces. Okay. Oh, I've forgotten to get a present. You know, that, that's not something that is the realm of someone with ADHD. Someone without ADHD could have found themselves in that situation, made exactly well. the same decisions, and yeah. had exactly the same consequences. That's not ADHD, yeah. but it has, go back to something we said... it has been impacted on by ADHD. Can I go back to something you said last week, though? If it's yeah. something that happens every time, 
now then does that become more of a okay if it's happening right if if every time there's a similar situation we have a similar occurrence in your sort of clinical experience is that more likely then as a pointer that okay that's that's maybe more indicative of if you do that every time and you don't know why that that could be more likely to be an ADHD rather than a you know a once off or a once in a blue moon scenario yeah yeah but it, but either way that experience is telling you to do something different in yes. the past you know that that you, yes. that you you could have managed this differently in the past you have created this situation now and you have to own it that's what melissa Orloff would say you know that's Just, what she said yeah. in, in when we were talking to her about how these things impact on relationships yeah. own your shit Yes, you have to did. own that it's gone wrong. Yeah. And that is that that is an opportunity for learning. So your past three days, you've been grumpy. You, mm. you said, right, this is an opportunity for me to make a change. I want to limit my access to my phone because I think that's going to make a difference. You've got an app. Yeah. That was your response to, I don't want it to be like this. So okay. The same opportunity in the, in the car. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to keep doing this no. this way. So so okay. So that's telling you something needs to change. What are you going to do to change it? Yeah. Okay. So you lead me on to the next phase of this conversation. I think. And we've we've sort of hinted at this and we've touched upon it before. I kind of launch into this again. And, and and perhaps to disappoint anyone who's waiting for the list of recommended apps, books, whatever it may be, we can't do that. Not because we're not sponsored, not because we're not paid by any of them, but because we don't know whether they will work for you watching or listening. We cannot tell you that. So if you're waiting for the list and you're looking in the show notes for the list, there won't be any, right? However, the next part of this conversation is to talk about they exist. And amongst the apps or the supplements, there are other things that exist that people could look to if we are struggling as part of an, I think it's this phrase again, this multimodal approach to our, uh, our, our life, not just our ADHD. There are things we could consider. So, the list that springs to my mind, and tell me if I'm missing any, Andrew. Let's start with if we have a diagnosis, right? If we're clinically diagnosed, yes, medication, right? As a tool. That so would we, be the we, research shows that is the most likely to have a positive impact is medication. Okay, Hands down. right. Fine. So let's put medication to one side. If you want to know about medication and what it does, go back to episode one. Andrew did an incredibly in-depth description of all the current medications available, what they do, why they do it, how they do it, side effects, etc. So medication, if we are fortunate enough to have received a diagnosis, and that's an option, fine. For those of our listeners out there who maybe are not diagnosed or self-diagnosed are waiting, so we don't have access to medication, we then are going to maybe start looking at other. Right now, in my experience and from my research, what's recommended as the next best other are typically wrapped up in counseling, coaching, therapy, accountability, working with another human, preferably who understands this, 
to work through the things that you're challenged with. So would you tend to agree with that as maybe a, a sensible next step if or alongside medication? So, yeah, what what a coach can bring is something along the lines of what I brought to your description of finding that app. Yeah. So it's about saying, hey, had you considered that you hadn't had cold water for three days when mm. you got that app? You know, it, it, it's about helping you to, with a with someone else's perspective, say you might have missed something, and helping you explore the the questions that come up as a result of the mm -hmm. problems that you face, and that is an enormously valuable thing. Friends do it all the time. A coach will do it. A mentor will do it. Um, and it, it's about how you want to get that function because it is impossible to to completely function on your own in in isolation and see everything mm. because you've only got your perspective and another perspective will always cast a different shadow if you like the, 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 yes. someone else's perspective will see things differently and allow having a conversation with someone will allow you to to take a step outside of of the pressure that you experience yourself and look from another perspective uh, the challenges you face and hopefully with some support and guidance find solutions that work for you yep and again so, i'm gonna yes, that's the next best way of, of tackling this okay and i'm gonna reference melissa again now at this point um the one thing i think that she said on this that's really important for me is if you can avoid your partner being the person you rely on to do that kind of thing for you that will always be a better result because the danger is if you're relying on your partner to be the person that metaphorically picks up after you, comes up with the solutions, helps you work, thing, work things through all the time, your relationship is at risk of being stuck in this parent-child dynamic. And that can lead to a whole host of problems of its own, including long-term resentment and frustration on your partner's behalf. And, and so seeking external support for that um yes is is really important and there are there are lots of communities and groups out there we have our own whatsapp community that we reference every every podcast whatever it is however you do it using someone that's not deeply personally connected to you is likely to give you a sense of i suppose distance from from your issues as well so you're not affecting directly that person. Therefore, like Andrew was able to do with me, he was able to see from outside and to pick up on what I'd said and, 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 and ask me that question around it. So I would always say, if you can, um, try and seek that help from outside. And, and look, I know money is tight for everyone. Not everyone can afford a coach or a counsellor or a therapist. There are, including ours, free communities out there or low-cost support groups out there um and it's free well worth looking for those well. yeah free help loans even it's just about having somebody that doesn't have any emotional investment in yeah. the change that you make um and and that's not to diminish anybody's partner's ability to be objective no just the very the very nature that they are your partner impacts on your perception of of why they're saying what they're saying if yeah. it's somebody that's cold and objective and has nothing invested in what they're saying other than their objective observations 
yeah. you will trust it more. Yeah, correct. Because Absolutely there's correct. no undertones, there's no possibility because they're not yeah. going to gain anything from saying whatever they say. Yeah, they're not judging you, I think, is the, the big... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's now, this is where it starts to get interesting. Okay, those things we know, we've got research and evidence that says medication, yes, alternative human, let's call it, uh, support strategies, yes. We, we know that, and I'll try and link some. Now, Andrew, we're getting into the realms of things we've mentioned here. So let's talk technology for a while. Um, let's talk apps. A quick Google search today told me that there are currently in excess of 30 high profile, and that's only the high profile ones with paid adverts, high profile apps, all claiming to be able to give you control over your ADHD. And I'm just going to say that again. They all claim to be able to give you control over your ADHD. Take a moment, ask yourself, based on everything you've heard, do you think that's really realistic? Can it give you control? That is not, though, saying they may not help. Now, your theory on that, Andrew, is I will just say this. Most of them, most of the apps that are out there, if you dig a little deeper, you'll find are based in the concepts of and the theories of CBT. Okay, cognitive behavioral therapy. They're about patterns. They're about recognition of patterns and trying to change them. So it doesn't matter what the user interface is. It doesn't matter how shiny it is, how smart it looks, what the claims are. Start with the knowledge that 99.9% .9 of them are based on the same idea with the same principles. Why? Because CBT is known to have quite good rates of efficacy as a support strategy in tandem with other things for people with ADHD. So, Andrew, I'll throw that one to you now. Having thrown that, what's your take on where we're at with all the apps? Apps. Okay, so apps are or can be useful. Um, my personal experiences, I've tried a few. Um, and come to the conclusion that actually they're all the same. Yeah. Um, the fundamentals here is that we are creatures of habit and routine as human beings. And having routines and things that we do on a regular basis gives us some security. But changing those is enormously difficult. So if you have an unhealthy routine, to shift away from that is very difficult, even if you want to, because it's you default back to your pattern, your routine. Mm -hmm. So, so these apps that are, and what cognitive behavioral therapy does is say, okay, let's challenge that. Let's challenge that belief that this routine works for you. You then decide, no, it doesn't. Okay, you want to bring something different in. How are you going to make it different? We'll plan that out. And then we'll implement that and we'll keep going. And when, it, when you do it, does it lead to the improvement that you're looking for? And mm -hmm. it takes time. It takes a long time to, to, to add something into a routine. It, it, you can see the problem. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm sure that when people are looking for an app, they know the, ch the problem they're trying to challenge. 
but what the app doesn't do is help you face the underlying drivers that keep you away from making that change. Change is difficult, but routines, when they're established and when they become worn in patterns of of behavior, um, become immensely reassuring and immensely comforting. So I've, I've got a routine that has evolved in the mornings. Um, mm-hmm. down to the cupboard I'll open to get what out first mm-hmm. um, so that I get things that I want to do done first thing in the morning because yeah. I'm, I'm not bringing my A game first thing in the morning. I'm not a morning creature. Yeah. But by, have, by having that routine, I can, I can get the, the, the core things done, breakfast, making sure that the day is, is set out well. Yeah. Um, and when when I bring in when when in my clinical practice when I'm prescribing medication, I will always try and find little hooks in the day to add in taking medication because it's yes. so easy to forget taking medication. But if you if you can attach the new thing to something that is always there already, yeah, you the likelihood of of doing it. Do you need an app to do that? No, you don't um what what you need is is to make the decision and to continue to do it now an app can give you that reminder mm-hmm. um so i i'm i'm a fan of of reminders but reminders mm-hmm. can be ignored and those apps are only as good as the data that you put into them and the response that you give when that data comes back out of them Correct. There's a little, there's a little bit of processing in the app, so there, there are some that you can, you can put the data in of how important is this to you, when do you want it done by that, and it'll jiggle all in uh, and tell mm. you how to live your life. I uh, can't think of anything worse, um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that would work for some people. Yeah. So, okay. I, I don't think that you know, there, there isn't a, a, a standout app, but the there are principles to apply in thinking about what's going to work for you. It might work for you to have a boring list of on a black and white screen for your phone. Yeah. That yeah. might work for you. It might not. We don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, you talk about that phone screen, though. Yes, it's boring and black and white. I guarantee if I had a movement sensor on it, and I think there's one built in, I just don't know where it is. If I, if I tracked how often I picked it up, have I picked it up any less than yesterday? No. Have I spent less time on it? Yes. Right now, all right, it's it's not even 24 hours, but the point is it's about habit forming or habit breaking, isn't it? I'm doing that to break a habit. It will take not just time, not just repetition. Let's be really brutally honest, whether it's that up or anyone else, it takes my desire for it to work. Yeah. Right? And and we could do an episode on the ADHD tax, and I'm sure we will at some point, this thing of spending money, right? The fact is, 13 quid or 300 quid, and then I get bored, that was a waste of money, whether it helped me for two days or not, right? It's about the desire inherent in you, what it is you're trying to achieve, that will mean that that app that was likely designed by somebody without ADHD in the first place may work but no no matter what the marketing says there are no givens okay so if we if we we put apps to one not one side a minute we come on to something and we've discussed maybe doing a topic uh, uh, an episode on this specifically i think wrapped up in the whole nutrition breeze but 
in the past 12 months alone, maybe 18, there has been an explosion in the supplement market, particularly in the supplement market, which is targeting, very, very clearly targeting people with ADHD who are not able to seek a diagnosis, who are not on medication. So there are all sorts of things. Okay. And again, full disclosure here. Yes. Midway through last year, my stress was a bit high. I was doing the very typical ADHD thing of looking for the shortcut. And I need an answer now. And I'm not taking meds at the moment. What can I do? And I read several articles about certain ancient roots and compounds that have been used for thousands of years, allegedly, to help people reduce stress. Did I buy a bottle of those pills on Amazon? Yes. What effect did they have? I don't know, because in true ADHD form, I never finished them. Couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you if they were good, not good. I can tell you that on the first, second and third day, I would have told you I felt a difference. Was that placebo effect? Was that because I wanted there to be an effect? Was that because there was an effect? The answer is I probably will never know unless I commit to taking them. But they are out there. And just like the apps, the advertising is spectacularly good. I understand that people are drawn to them because they're looking for an alternative. Or some people are looking for a non-medicinal approach. Um, again, I'll use this phrase. Can I tell you they won't work or they will work? No, because I'm not you. I don't have your digestive system, your your biology. I, how do I know? How does the person making it know? I do know that in the research I've done into the ingredients, there isn't a great deal of research into the ingredients with adults with ADHD. And certainly I found very little, if any, research where the ingredients listed have been used in the combinations that they are being placed into the supplements all as a package with adults with ADHD. Some with children, but separately. So for me, as somebody tries to be critically thinking, I question that. I question the claim, well, oh, this will. How do you know I'm not seven? And you're giving me six things, not one. But that's me. Andrew, what's your take on that? So this this is... A really interesting point. Yes, they might work. They might do exactly what they say they're going to do. Mm. But this is about effect size, which is a concept in, in medicine research. If they cause a 1% improvement, they can say it's an improvement. Mm. But how much value is that? Yeah. So the, the medications that are prescribed for um, ADHD um, we know that um, if you give two people with ADHD one of the stimulants, one of them will definitely have a really significantly positive response. Right. right. Huge effect size. Slightly less with the non-stimulants. Well, significantly less with the non-stimulants, but it's mm. there and it's measured. The question when you're, when you're looking at these to ask yourself is how much difference is this going to make? It's not about is, is this going to do it all because methylphenidate doesn't do it all. 
yeah. and it is one of the most effective medicines in medicine. Mm. Yet the people who are marketing that don't say this is going to sort it all out because they can't. So right. the people who were saying this is the solution, no, it, it potentially is part of the solution in terms of nutrition. I had a wonderful conversation with a, a very sensible nutritionist a couple of weeks ago about this, and there's a lot more to nutrition than what you take. It's what you, the, the circumstances in which you put what you take mm -hmm. as well. So what, what your gut health is like as well, So that because that impacts on absorption. There's, there are so many nuances to this, but to just say this powder will help you concentrate, well, yeah, it might, but only a little bit. Yeah. And only if you've got certain deficiencies, you know, so, yeah. so it's about ask, asking how much of an effect is this going to have? So we, you talked earlier, sort of down, down the ranking. Yes, medication is the most effective thing to do. Next is having some coaching or, or counseling or CBT based intervention. Mm -hmm. We've talked about routines. Yeah, mm -hmm. there, there, there is room for, for supplements, but actually, I'm not sure it's going to bring a great deal to the party unless you are seriously malnourished. No, no. And actually, the same is said uh, in terms of the sport supplement market, fitness supplement market. You know, for the average person, for the average human being, going to the gym a couple of times a week, not looking to become a professional elite athlete, whatever that means to you, most of us will get little to any benefit from dietary supplements, things like, you know, protein powders, creatines, etc. We just don't need them. Once you take yourself into the, the 1%, the half of 1% of people who are trying to make significant changes, then yes, supplementation can be useful. But that isn't everyone. Just because it's marketed to be the next best thing doesn't mean it is for all people. Um, so I'm trying I to think, think as well. I, I don't think there's, a, um, there's anything that a food supplement is going to do about all of the memories that you carry with you about no. what life was like before you were diagnosed. No. That's a really important point as well. No. You can't just supplement your way out of this situation. Yeah. This is your life. This is what you face. Yeah, it's not going to be an overnight solution. It, you might get things that make things a little bit more comfortable for a while. You might find something that changes a routine that makes things a lot more straightforward long term. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But even those aren't going to be the solution because you are more than your ADHD. Um, ADHD defines certain differences. Mm -hmm that are challenging in your journey through life but people without adhd face challenges through their journey in life as well so not all of our challenges come from adhd no. yes they can be amplified and exaggerated by symptoms of adhd but that doesn't mean that they are adhd okay i think that's a beautiful way of phrasing it so let me ask you this have we missed anything because i think we've discussed the overarching principles of why people struggle or feel we struggle with the same things as everyone else with ADHD. I think we've covered the fact that it's so presented so frequently. We hear these things so frequently that there's a bit of a um, an association almost by proxy 
oh yeah that's me i I, i'm clinging to that that's me and that's understandable and it may be we've we've covered the fact that at the heart of it the question isn't how do you take control over adhd it's over you your adhd as it means to you and yes in amongst that conversation we've just gone through a fairly decent list i think of things that people can consider that may or may not dependent on where they sit have some efficacy right from medication which we know if you're fortunate enough to be able to access it all the way down to if you choose to spend your hard-earned money on an app or a supplement that may or may not okay that's you know and everything in between i think before we we wrap up, I want to give you an opportunity to to from from a again a human and a clinical perspective, Andrew. How would you summarise this? You know, if you were sat in front of somebody after diagnosis, for example, how are you going to summarise this by way of making it something they feel they can take control of? Do you mean the diagnosis of ADHD? Yeah, that, and what that means, yeah. How yeah, how are they gonna take control of that, take ownership of it and, and what that means to them? Okay. That's a tricky one, isn't it? You always save the big one till last. I say I did. I, you know. Don't you? You do. <gasps> Only so one first... today though. Yeah, but what a beast. What a beast. So the first thing is to stop. Because you, if you're asking this question and you're in a panic and you're, you're in a bundle, you're going to get it wrong. Stop. Think the question through. Break the question down. I said last week I'm still making sense of my diagnosis five years on, and I've been a mental health nurse for 30 years and a, a specialist in ADHD for not the majority of that, but getting on for the majority of that time. And I've prescribed medication and I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people who live with ADHD and I'm still making sense of it. So you are not going to find that quick fix in any solution, be that a prescribed medication for ADHD, a coach, an app, a, a supplement. But you will find things out there that work for you. But only if you approach it in a, a calm and methodical way. Um, just throwing things at the wall and hoping something sticks, you'll miss stuff. You'll, mm. and, and we see this in prescribing practice. We just hammer through, we'll give you this, we'll give you this, we'll give you this, and actually missing the subtleties of, of what effects medications can bring. So this isn't something that sits in the realm of, of coaching or counselling or whatever. It, it mm. happens across the board because it's driven by this passionate need to take control of my ADHD when actually this is about stopping understanding that someone has given a definition that is is different than the one you were operating with before mm -hmm. that changes everything so it's going to take time to make sense of that it's going to take time to see what the challenges are and work out your own solutions to those challenges you know it, it might be that an alarm going off to remind you to take your medication works for you but it won't for other people it might be that not taking medication works for you but for a lot of people medication works it's yours to find out how you want to be and then find out the supports that work for you to be that way. But also accepting that when you make those choices, you exclude others. 
So if you if you choose to take medication, then you're excluding all the options of what life could be like without medication. Mm. If you choose not to take medication, then you exclude what medication can bring. If you choose not to have an app, then what what are you going to do that is going to deal with the thing that an app could have done for you? Yeah, because you were looking for that solution because you had a problem. So calmly looking at what the issue is getting advice seeking opinions bit by bit you make sense of the challenge you find your way through and test it out you know be your own guinea pig as as you describe it Matt. Mm -hmm. um accept that you know a lot of science is about getting things wrong that's uh, the majority of science is proving things aren't right rather than oh yeah we absolutely know this when some when a scientific breakthrough happens it happens because of lots of scientific flops yeah and it's okay to have a flop it's okay to say okay well that app didn't work for me what can i learn from having got that app having missed three days cold water plunging how can i use that information so that the money i spent on that app isn't wasted because it doesn't need to be wasted even if you don't mm. use the app because you paid that money as you said to to hopefully buy some resolution well it might not be the resolution of the app it might be the the experience that you had of not using the app that mm. makes you think hey i don't want to spend any more, more money on apps because yeah. this is a pattern that i keep doing um or i might be a bit more cautious when i when i buy an app or when i buy a supplement mm -hmm. yeah um, I so i i don't th i don't think anything's wasted by trying stuff out but it, you have to take a scientific approach to it and say, well, okay, what do I learn from that not working out the way I hoped it to? Because that is, that's the approach of science. Isn't it? I'm just listening to that. And I can, I can almost see and hear people going, you mean I have to get things wrong and there's not an answer? You mean the first thing doesn't work? <laughs> yeah, no, it never life. works. Yeah, that's life. And I say that semi-ironically, but folks, listen, I, I can, all of you sat there going, oh, I know you're looking for answers. You probably clicked on this thumbnail because you were looking for the answers. And the answer is, you've got to keep looking. You've got to experiment. You've got to pay attention as much as you can to the information you find and, and choose what you do with that. Um, yeah, good science, though, will refine the question it is ask, asking. As it so goes. That it prevents lots of repeated mistakes of the same thing. Once you've found yeah. something out in science that definitely that is, isn't working, you don't keep doing the same yeah. thing over and over again. You, you change the experiment yeah. to see if, if that opens up new opportunities. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that approach is, is the – that's how you take control of your ADHD. I agree. Okay, I, I, I'm going to summarise this from my way. Um, so. You know, as a mentor for other people, I always try and bring lots of different things I've learned in the past into how I help people. And there is a, a concept I was taught when I was 18 years old and I was studying marketing. Um, and it was about how to get people's attention, how to decide what will grab someone's attention. Um, now, the analogy was it was described as a rugby post with with five w's sat on it so it's it's asking a series of questions right five birds on a goalpost i think it was five questions that one at one by one might help you figure out what is it actually that you're trying to achieve so 
start with the question of what? Right now, what's the thing? What's the issue? Is it time blindness? Is it emotional sensitivity? Is it procrastination? What is the thing you're trying to, to resolve? Okay. Why? Why is number two? Why is this, over and above everything else, the thing? Once you know why, ask yourself, when? When am I having a problem with this? When is this affecting me? Okay. Next question is, who? Who is affected by this being a problem by me or for me? Are other people involved? Is it your spouse, your kids, your workmates? Okay. Who else is involved? But on top of who, the other who question is, who can I ask for help? Who can I talk to about this? Okay, so who is, is multi-layered? Then ask yourself, how am I going to approach it? How can I try to do something about this? And look, the solutions or the options are what we've discussed. Okay, how do you try to do this? And if you ask yourself those questions, so how, what, where, when, why, who, what you get is information. You get a structured channel of information that may just help you decide, is it an app? Is it a supplement? Is it a coach, a mentor, a therapist? Is it a CBT handbook? It may help you decide on the thing that you try next that gives you new information. And just like Andrew said, even after you've gone through that process and you decide to try X, if X doesn't work, it is not a failure. It's information. Take that information, look at it objectively, understand why it didn't work, and then ask those questions again and see what else you can try. Because it doesn't matter how old you are watching or listening to this, you have had ADHD all your life. You are going to live with ADHD all your life. Stop being in a rush. Because the more you rush, Bull in a china shop, as my mum used to say and still does, the more we approach trying to find solutions like a bull in a china shop, the less we find the solutions. Stop. Andrew has said this multiple times. Stop. Pay attention. Then try and think about what to do next. And hopefully, if you can apply that, you find some peace and some calm and you actually find some things that might start working for you. So in answer to the question, how do you take control of your ADHD? Remember, it's yours. It's not anyone else's. It's not mine. It's not Andrew's. It's no one else's. It's your ADHD. And the most important piece of that conversation and the one place to start is what is it you want what are you trying to improve or change and go from there sound about right to you andrew spot on folks that has been episode nine 
of Talk ADHD. I really hope it helps. I'm sure, Andrew, you'll say the same. We, we do this to help. Believe it or not, this conversation's really helped me. I've got stuff I'll take away from it. I always do. And if you have found this useful, please like, subscribe to the YouTube channel, click the notification bell, leave us a review or a comment wherever you listen to this, because it's your comments and your questions that really help us know if we're on the right track. However, for now, I'm going to say thank you all for listening, watching or digesting this, however you have done so. And we will see you all next week for episode 10, episode 10 of ADHD. And I, for one, am really excited that we've made it. Andrew, thank you very, very much. I will see you next time. Always a pleasure. See you soon. Yes.